Hello and welcome to the Challenging University podcast with me, your host, Tony Kent. Now, when you've got a flourishing career with a leading consulting firm, why would you leave to start a community interest company? Tayo Adeshina is the founder and CEO of Trash Gang, an organization that addresses the issues of social isolation by creative programs that build community and give a voice to youth who may otherwise be excluded from social and workplace opportunities. In our conversation, Tayo talks about how the loss of his friend David to suicide brought Tayo's purpose into sharp focus, why young people are not currently served by existing structures, the power of combining soft skills training with tangible outcomes, and how you can get involved. I know you're going to love this episode. Hi, Tayo. Hello. How are you doing, Tony? I'm good. Thank you for agreeing to come on the Challenging University podcast. I'm very excited to have you on. <laughs> Likewise. Good to be here. Thank you. I appreciate it. So I know a little bit about you, but the listeners don't. So for the listeners today and the listeners to come, could you please share your full name and what it is that you do today? Awesome. Uh, so yeah, my name is Tayo Edeshina. Um, I run a social enterprise called Trash Gang. Uh, and our job, our role is to be the creative outlet for underrepresented young people 16 to 25. And we help transform their peer-led conversations into streetwear clothing. And by doing that, we're helping them transition from formal education into the working world. We're giving them all of the soft skills that they need ultimately to progress in life. Amazing. This is why I was so glad to have you on. Um, <laughs> So let's go back to before you had your own organisation. Mm. Let's go back to secondary school. So can okay. you tell me what your memories are of that time? You know, interestingly, secondary school was the favourite time, I guess, of my adolescence um, and, my, and my childhood. A lot of my memories of secondary school, if I'm completely honest, is me misbehaving, pushing boundaries, um, <laughs> making life a little bit difficult for the teachers around me. Um, and really and truly, it was building friendships and bonds that honestly felt that they would last a lifetime. And that's what secondary school was for me. I'll be honest, it, it wasn't the, the excitement of the learning and the education at the time. It was more about building those relationships and finding enough that stayed true to who I am till today. Um, so yeah, some of my early memories. And um, where whereabouts in the country did you go to school? Great question. So I lived in London for the first 10, 11 years. Um, and then family, we moved to Kent. So we moved about an hour away, uh, an area called Medway. So um, I was pretty fortunate. I got the opportunity to my 11 plus. I managed to pass scraping by a barrel of the teeth. I mean, I, I think I passed by like 20 points or something like that. Yeah, nice. um, and I ended up going to a grammar school. I ended up going to a grammar school in Kent. Um, and that's where I met all of the friends that I've pretty much maintained till this day. Um, and through secondary school, I remember getting my first rejections by a girl. I remember <laughs> literally like that era, that, that time of my life um, was phenomenal. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, it had its, it had its challenges. I think um, Kent is probably where I experienced my real understanding of racism. Um, I mean, right. at the time that we moved, we were one of the few black families in the area. Um, mm. And I mean, for, for my school at the time, I probably was one of three, maybe four black kids in the entire school. So um, wow. as exciting and as an amazing experience was, and, and I loved it, it definitely came with its challenges. It wasn't without, without them, that's for sure. Yeah, and, and how, um, so how was it as you came to the end of that experience and you were thinking mm. about what was to come? What was the expectation on you? Because you're <laughs> at a grammar school. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
you know what i'll be honest um culturally the expectation was always that i went to university uh, the expectation was you go through formal education, you go as far as you can, you go into higher education. Um, that was the tone in my household. So yeah. that was something that I guess was beating into me from early, whether I felt like it was what I wanted or not. It was it was definitely <laughs> drummed in, right? It was it was definitely the the trajectory that I was told that I needed to follow. Um, okay. And that's a cultural aspect. That's definitely a part of it um, for me. But if I'm really honest, I think what changed my perspective whilst I was at school was one particular teacher um so again I, I, I had a bit of a rough rougher background in school I, I definitely was one of the more misbehaved children um and probably why I advocate so much for those who are challenged in schools right now and sometimes on that trajectory to exclusion um I mean I'd been on those kind of performance improvement plans as a kid and it was one particular teaching assistant um yeah. called Nicola Sandy and and I yeah. think we spoke maybe a couple of years ago um by a messaging and I remember her to this day because she was one of the few who Jenny just believed in me uh yeah. she poured into me as a young kid and was like look you can achieve great things if yeah. you buckle up um and you know sadly every end of year kind of uh, teacher parents conference my feedback was always Tyre would be great if he didn't stop distracting people and if he applied himself that was my consistent consistent messaging whilst I was actually at school yeah and and did they actually use performance improvement plans did they <laughs> yeah so I don't know if they called it a pip I don't know if that was exactly okay. in phrase but I, I definitely had a yellow it was like three tiers like a green book a yellow book and a red book red book yeah. was the worst <laughs> yeah yeah. Worst. Um, yeah and yeah I've been through suspension I've been suspended before I'll be honest it was for the most ridiculous thing and and when I reflect on it now, I think mm. of how far we've progressed as a society. One of the things I got suspended for uh, was my hairstyle at the time. Um, now, this was a really interesting one because when I talk to some of the schools mm. that we work with and I, I think about what it means to be a black student in the UK, what it means to be a black student in Britain, some of the yeah. rules that applied to me didn't seem to apply to my peers. So there isn't yeah. much I could do with my hair. I mean, I'm pretty much bald now, but there wasn't <laughs> much I could do with my hair as a kid. But yeah. I wanted to have a mohawk and a little tight. I mean, we're talking like an inch and a half of hair that would just sit in the middle of my head. As yeah. ridiculous I think it is now, at the time, that was something worthy of me being suspended for. Um, yeah. And, you know, I'd see my peers. They could pretty much style their hair and gel it and slick it and yeah. do the things they wanted to do with it. And, and at the time, me wanting to try and relate and do what I felt was cool was yeah. a cause for punishment. So um, school had its ups and downs, to say the least, to say the least. <laughs> And um, so something that, um, mm. well, we're going to talk about this. So you, you did go on to uni. Yeah. Um, so I'm intrigued now because <laughs> the expectation from your family was this is what you want. <laughs> but at school, you were having a bit of a rough ride. So how how did that change? What happened? Yeah, great question. I mean, I, I do echo um the support of Nicola Sandy being that one teaching assistant at the time who generally just poured into me and encouraged me as a student. And I think we often take for granted how much influence teachers have, external yeah. organisations have, yeah. partner organisations like ourselves have on the trajectory of a young person. 
Uh, and actually for, for me, I got to grips of owning my journey in terms of actually taking my education serious because I had someone who told me that I could achieve great things if I did. And yeah. that started to show when I decided, all right, cool, I'm going to focus. I'm going to do my GCSEs and do a great job. Um, and then I'm going to go and do sixth form and get my A-levels. And I walked out with AAB, even though my predicted grades were nowhere near that, right? So it's yeah. it for me and my journey, it, it goes to show how much actually others, older, experienced people can pour into you. They can either help shape you to do great things or unfortunately their words can be the damaging things that hold you back sometimes. Yeah, it's quite, I think that is really powerful because similarly <laughs> an interesting time at secondary school but you do remember and it may not be until a bit later but you do mm. remember the teachers who said you really have got a talent here if 100%. you would only believe in yourself 100 percent. Um, what did you study at a-level so i did english literature uh mm -hmm. business management and ict or business okay. studies in ICT. So yeah, it was a, a mix and mash um, of things to study. I think there was a natural interest in English literature. My dad got me into reading uh, from a young age. So I read books, I enjoyed reading. That then dropped off in my teenage years, but I did enjoy yeah. reading. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, business and IT was a natural fit for me. I, I enjoyed all concepts of business at the time. Um, yeah. And I guess IT was exciting because it was the only class you got to use a computer in. So yeah. that was natural. <laughs> I want to do that. Um, yeah. My kids say now, it's like when it's hot weather, they're like, you want to be in the ICT suite because they've got air con. There so, you go. It's yeah. the good stuff. <laughs> all the good stuff is in the IT suite. Um, so what... what uh, what was your university experience like? How would I describe my university? I mean, look, in truth, university was a fun place. You get that next level of independence as a young person uh, where you don't feel tied necessarily to your parents. Um, you get the experience of living outside the home. So university was fun, independence, um, and actually getting to step into making my own real decisions for myself. Now, I don't say that to me. My parents repressed me in any way. They absolutely let me be my own adult, even as I was in the house. But I think mm. the next level of university is where you, truthfully, you kind of really exercise your moral compass and what you do and don't believe in. Uh, and I guess some of the things you're taught at home, you actually then follow through when you're out on your own, right? And you yeah. have the opportunity to be someone of integrity or someone who isn't. And I guess university gave me that platform, really, to discover the things that I do care about. Yeah. Wow. That's quite profound. It's like exercise <laughs> your moral compass. I don't know where it comes from. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Right. You go from uni do not straight to trash gang no. no 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 not quite um life uh took a, a traditional pathway i guess because of the things i was exposed to at university um i went down the route of then going into managing consultant straight from university um yeah. in truth i went to university like most young people go to university they weren't getting a job straight after uni right there was this right. big struggle it's like oh you've done university nobody's actually hiring me but i've done yeah. all this work and i paid all this money why am i not getting a job um yeah so i then decided to stay for one more year and i actually did a master's degree in uh, the same thing information management business is what i studied at UCL. Ah, yeah and truthfully, I, I only stayed because I didn't have a job lined up. That was right. the value of where I was at the time. Um, and then, yes, I then found or realized what management consulting was. And then I went into being a management consultant. Um, and I spent the last four or five years as a management consultant full time. Okay. Now, I've heard that kind of role described as 
almost like a doctor for a business. That's how someone described it to me. What do you think? I I like their optimism. Uh, <laughs> it is definitely a flavour of that. And funny enough, I saw quite a few um, Instagram reels mocking what a management consultant is, um, which ah. made me laugh. Relatable, obviously not true, because management consultants do add value. Um, yeah. But yeah, as a job, we are going in and, and ultimately trying to diagnose some of the key problems within an organisation and ultimately trying to find a solution to them. Um, really and truly, bottom line, we're trying to help the profitability, the finances of an organization. It always comes down to in some way, shape or form, whether you're impacting culture, whether you're impacting team structure, it will come down to the bottom line and costing at the end of the day, which you're trying to help an organization. Okay. So what's taken you from management <laughs> consulting to setting up Trash Gang? Yeah, it seems like such a wild leap, right? No connection whatsoever. Um, to be honest, it's it's personal experience in life. Um, so during my university period, uh, in my final year of my master's, actually, I received a call um, from my mum that my best friend of 10 years um, was actually in hospital and had attempted to commit suicide. Um, and, you know, when I say my best friend, like I said, secondary school was my favourite memories, right? And that mm. was the best friend, David, that I spent all of my time with. He taught me how to ski. He taught me how to ride my first motorbike. taught me how to play the drums. I mean, a wow. lot of the things I did. Yeah, he did it all and I learned it all from him. Um, yeah. I shouldn't be proud of the way he taught me how to ski because he just took me to the top of a top of a cliff and said, <laughs> yeah, just go down it. And that was literally how I learned with him. Um, wow. <laughs> but sadly, sadly, you know, as close as I was to him and we did everything together, there was a part of his life that he obviously didn't share um, to the point that he was willing to take his own life. And wow. part of that mission and what drives me to create a trash gang is this realization that social isolation exists. And I look at the story and the life that I had with my best friend, David, at the time, all of us as a friendship group went to university, except for him. He was the only one that stayed back home at Kent. Right. And there was a natural barrier, whether we wanted it or not, there was a natural barrier because we're now making new friendships at university. We don't have the ability to just catch up with each other on a daily basis like yeah. we used to. Um, so yeah, there, there was a burning passion and desire within me to create safe spaces for young people, to be yeah. real, to be authentic about what they're actually going through and equipping them with the skills that they need to progress in life. I've seen how a lack of social or social isolation impacts young people. I want to yeah. be part of the solution to that. <laughs> How long has um, Trash Gang been going for? So as an organisation, we've existed for about four or five years. Um, okay. I mean, truth be told, uh, as a, a young boy, as I guess I was when I set it up, I didn't know much about business structures outside of an LTD. So we started as, a, as an LTD. And yeah. very quickly, I realised actually I'm here for the community. What I want this organisation to be is to live and breathe for the community. So we transition to a social enterprise we're now a CIC as an organization um yeah. and we're actively on our mission to help support our community of young people and how do you think um your experiences in the corporate world have helped to inform how you run the organization mm -hmm. how you bring people in I love that I I genuinely believe everything happens for a reason. Um, and I quite strongly see how the skills that I've learned and leveraged through managing consultant has actually transferred into me running an organization. Uh, I think one of the key skills you learn as a consultant is your ability to learn things very, very quickly. You're stepping yeah. into a new organization, sometimes on a monthly basis, and you have to get up to speed super fast. And I think the natural ability to learn quickly 
um, and have a desire to learn something has just followed me through to entrepreneurship and setting up an organization where I don't have all the skills, but I have to learn pretty, pretty quickly um, so yeah. that I can keep this organization growing and moving in the right direction. And what do your former colleagues and family and people, what do they think about you going from this I mean, you did the thing. <laughs> you yeah. did the, I went to uni and then I got a master's and then I yeah. went to a big consulting firm. I mean, it's a lot to people yeah. to move on from. Yeah, it's absolutely. Something you might say walk away from, but yeah, what, what, yeah. Yeah, uh, to be honest, it, the biggest challenge was probably my own mindset, actually, towards making that move. What I found is when I spoke about what I'm passionate about, when I spoke about what I'm trying to achieve, people rallied around me. Um, one of the partners at the firm, I'm still in touch with to this day, we met up just a couple of months ago. And to this day, he's still supporting me in what I'm trying to do. He's even bought one of our products that we've co-created with some of the young people we've taught. Um, so it goes to show that actually people do you want to support you when you're doing great things? Um, yeah. And unfortunately, it was my mindset that actually probably held me back from talking a lot more about the work that we do. Um, yeah. Because I was conscious, that same thing you mentioned there, right? There was this fear of, I'm coming from this career path that seems so clear. You know the trajectory, you know kind of salaries you're going to be getting. So we'll yeah. from all of that to potentially not earn any money at all for years at a time before you can get there. Um, but the mission is bigger. The mission is definitely bigger than me and my own personal ego is bigger than me and what I would like to achieve for myself. What I'm trying to achieve for young people goes beyond just my personal bank. And um, talk to me about the soft skills piece, because this, when we spoke first, I was like, <laughs> tell me about how you've designed the program and why you focus on, on and why, why it's structured the way that it is. I love that. And interestingly, it does link back to the things I learned in consulting. So mm. in truth, my one skill, the one credit I give myself is my ability to articulate myself, have conversations with people and build a network. Yeah. I've seen how far that's carried me in my own life, in my own journey and career. Um, and I want the same for young people. So when I look at some of the soft skills that a digital generation have, mm -hmm. and I think I already shared this with you at the time, a lot of their ability to debate and negotiate is done in the comment section of a YouTube <laughs> channel, right? It's yeah. literally constantly this digital thing and there's a barrier, there's a wall that seems like you're connecting because it's digitally connected, but you're not. Yeah. You're not actually having a face-to-face -face conversation with somebody. Yeah. Um, and I said the same thing of social media and algorithms. You're constantly shown the things that you already agree with, that you already mm -hmm. believe in. So that yeah. means there's no room for anyone to challenge your belief system where you can have a healthy conversation without it feeling like a personal attack yeah. and actually you know for us it's I need to be able to break that barrier to build young people to have the social resilience um, and the social emotional learning to be able to carry themselves into different situations to still know their values are important to still know their beliefs hold value mm. but also how to engage in conversations with those completely opposite beliefs so the entire program builds upon the soft skills that not only helps build their character but are actually fundamental skills when you go into the world of work um, yeah. and you learn how to facilitate a conversation and lead others and it's it's all of what we do and and do you see and I'll, I'll just make a mental note to ask you another question <laughs> do you see that mm. um young people who come from you know less advantaged backgrounds um mm. have less of or less confidence in this area because if I think about the young people I know who mm. have been through the private education system it's so just like confident there's an ease and a confidence that I didn't have when yeah. I was that age I was that constantly feeling defensive mm. and under attack 
yeah. I'd love your insights on that. Yeah, look, uh, the sad truth is the answer is yes. Um, and as much as I love having my conversations intervening with some of the young people who come from similar backgrounds and, and even harsher and harder conditions than I have, the reality is these are the key gaps that consistently show themselves. And it, yeah. it might to uh, uh, somebody who's hiring seem as they can't write an email well or their phone yeah. conversation. But actually, it's much deeper than that. It's how they actually engage in society and how they are able to convey themselves. And often that's lacking. And it's not because they don't have the ability. It's that they haven't been taught the way that often it seems to be accepted when it comes to them getting a job. Um, so there is definitely a skills gap as opposed to a capability gap. They just need the skills to get there. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great way to put it. Um, and tell us about the um, the products that you create, the merch. Mm -hmm. I had a lot of fun looking at the website. Explain to me why that part is so important. I mean, you look at our generation of young people, they are passionate about what they wear and they're yeah. passionate about expressing themselves. And often it's about, well, where is their safe outlet to do that? Other than social media, fashion, clothing is has always and will always be a way for young people to express themselves, mm. how they feel their <laughs> sense of belonging, right? It's Maslow's hierarchies and these 101, right? They yes. want a sense of belonging. Um, yeah. And fashion just happens to be such a great catalyst for that. Um, notwithstanding the fact that I've always thought I was somewhat fashionable um, and often <laughs> mocked at my old workplace for, for trying to be fashionable by truthfully wearing too many tight trousers. That was always the thing that I was laughing at. <laughs> well, I have colleagues who would laugh at me because my trousers are too tight and I haven't changed it um but, <laughs> but gotta own truth, it oh 100% 100% I claim it um but yeah the, the truth is what we what we do is we co-create our streetwear products with the young people we teach so we run a six-week program where we're actually building on those core soft skills we call them essential skills and um, they're building their social emotional learning they're learning how to deal with conflict resolution they learn how to present and articulate themselves we do all of that whilst getting them to co-create a piece of treatment clothing through a live brief so you get 15 often sometimes strangers or they might even be friends 15 young strangers in a room together co-collaborating on an exciting project where they yeah. get to bring to life streetwear and ultimately we're telling their stories through the clothing so each of the items are talking about their lived experiences what they've been through and um, and we're giving them a voice we're ultimately giving them a voice to articulate themselves through clothing that they get to love and wear and i think there's something there's a lot to be said about that in if i sort of think about some of the experiences that i had or people that I know have had mm. they don't want to talk about or they've been constantly spoken to by professionals about <laughs> you know if like you have social services involvement in your family and you're constantly mm. being spoken to or judged or you're not sure if you can say what you want to say yeah. I think this is like a really fantastic way to express yourself without or on your own terms or to own absolutely, it. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And that's the, the key part for us is there has to be tangible ownership at the end of our yeah. programs. And for them to own that piece of street where they get to have that thing delivered to the house, they get to wear it with pride that they co-created that. Mm. Uh, you can't even imagine what that does in terms of boosting morale and reminding them yeah. that they have value, that they have something to add to their portfolio, to their skill set, that they've co-created something, they've brought something to life from scratch. Um, so yeah, there's a lot, a lot to say about that. A lot. And do you think, um, do you get asked about your own, you know, your background? Do you find that, you know, you went to grammar school and uni? Did, does that ever come up with the young people that you work with? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the 
questions we run is around identity and stereotypes and we're ultimately teaching them how to ground their identity to understand what that means and to build their self-esteem around things that last that add value um yeah. and often it does reflect back on well what is your journey what is your story how did you get to where you are and it's yeah, yeah. it's a fantastic opportunity to use myself as a case study but actually it's yeah. even nicer when I can bring in others from different walks of life and for them to share their story um it yeah. is really encouraging and it's to touch on the point you mentioned earlier it is refreshing to have someone who sometimes looks young enough to pass as one of them being in the room <laughs> teaching them and I mean minus the board and hair um <laughs> in the room teaching them and liaising them because I sound like them I look like them I laugh like them you know I interact like them my slang is the same as their slang I mean there's always yeah. the, the new words they come up with that I can't keep up with but for the most part yeah. it's so relatable um that it just gives a level of calmness when they enter the room yeah I like that I just said <laughs> Yeah. 20 minutes I've been sitting thinking what does this green top say about me um, <laughs> I, I, I don't know uh, um, okay how do you um, how do you get firms and individuals involved so there's obviously the young people that you coach mentor mm. work with support how, how, how does that work bringing in these different groups of people yeah, I mean, to be honest, it's something that we, it's an active struggle of ours and one that we're trying to build right now. Um, a lot of what we're trying to do is build out not only our volunteering base of other adults who want to pull back and give their time, but also to build corporate relationships with those who want to make a difference for the young people, because we are an organization in the community work with these young people on such a frequent basis. Um, yeah. A lot of the work I'm doing now, believe it or not, is LinkedIn, it's emailing, it's contacting people, it's getting in touch with one of the people like you who share a similar mission and a goal, right? And, and yeah that ultimately opens doors for us to have the conversations to see the level of impact that can be had when people do partner with us to do great work um so it's an ongoing ongoing battle mm. and where sort of geographically right now mm. where are you based yeah, so we're kind of spread across South London and East London just for mm -hmm. some of the programmes that we're currently running right now. Um, yeah. So uh, Southwark, Lambeth, South London, and then we're also doing work uh, in Lewisham, uh, and then we're also doing work out in East London at Dalston, Kingston side. I mean, I don't think we're bound by geographic location. We're really trying to go where the need is. So if there are young people that we can deliver a fantastic programme for and make a difference in Essex, we will go to Essex. Um, yeah. But as it stands right now, we've been based mostly in South and East London. And and the organisations that support you and work with you out, outside of people volunteering their time, mm. you know, who who are the kind of what are the kind of organisations that are you know are they putting cash in? Are they giving you access to facilities? What what does that look like? And what do you need? <laughs> Great question. Uh, a mixture of both, actually, a mixture of both. Yeah. So, I mean, we we work with universities and charity partners that might mean co-facilitating or sharing space. Um, yeah. or for example, we're delivering a programme where we've won funding or they've won funding and we get to co-create and co-deliver that programme with them. Um, for partner organisations, I think what we truthfully need is the ability to be funded to deliver this programme everything yeah. unfortunately costs money um, we can't escape it but what we've tried to do of course is create a business model that allows us to put that money directly back into the community right so as a mm. social enterprise 65% of what we're doing goes back into our community um, so yeah for us it is about building relationships with people who understand what the work that we do see the value and the impact that we do and are therefore yeah. willing to fund it so we can go out and do greater work so it's awesome it's just so awesome <laughs> um what are your hopes for the future what do you think's next 
Love that. I mean, look, the big vision, what we're really, truly working towards is what we call a purpose-built retail store. We want to create a 50-50 store. So 50% of that space is creative workshop space for young people to come in off the streets whenever they want, get creative with us, play a part of our programs, play with some of the digital tools and get creative. And then the other 50% of the room is all of the streetwear clothing that they've actually co-created with us. So we want them to tangibly, physically see all of their hard work up in walls in the store at all times. So that's what we want to create. We, we see the decline in community centres. There are not that many spaces for young people to just be. Um, mm. And then we we'll, we'll find the other side of the coin. People are complaining that they're loitering and they're hanging around, but we've not been able to invest in the infrastructure for them to be there. So that's our mission. That's what we're trying to create. Our vision is to create that purpose-built retail store where young people can just be and be themselves and tangibly see their successes up on the walls that are surrounded by them. Mm. and are you scoping anywhere out right now is there someone we need to talk to <laughs> great great question um i mean no the, the answer is no there isn't anywhere we're scoping um we've definitely been having some early conversations about what this could look like recycling yeah. empty spaces there are quite a few empty spaces whether they're retail spaces or otherwise um in yeah. london right so for us it really is about well if they're not in use help allow us to help you to recycle those repurpose them to be something of value to the community um so yeah if you know anybody who has access to unused venues areas that we could actually maximize for young people to to bring value to their lives we'd love to have that conversation with them awesome well with the <laughs> for the power of linkedin um, <laughs> Absolutely. we must be able to make this happen yeah um and where can people find you? Where can they find Trash Gang? How can they get in touch? Great question. Um, I mean, look, website, Instagram, LinkedIn, um, it's always Trash and then Gang is G-X-N-G. Um, not the typical way to spell gang, but it, of course, adds an extra flavour of coolness. Um, so, yeah, I mean, look, truthfully, our website and, and Instagram will be the best place. So Trash, G-X-N-G, you'll be able to find us. I, just, I think I'm going to replace the O in my first name with an X. <laughs> it me an extra I love it already. I love it already. <laughs> uh, it's just been, I was so excited to hear about what you're doing. Yeah. And I'm so glad that you had the time to come on to me. Well, it's like manic to you right now. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So um, thanks, Tayo. It's been absolutely brilliant. Oh, pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, Tony. I really appreciate you giving me the time too. Thanks. Pleasure.